And you people, you're all astronauts on some kind of Star Trek. We are explorers. We're going to stumble, make mistakes, I'm sure more than a few before we find our footing. But we're going to learn from those mistakes. That's what being human is all about. It is possible to commit no mistakes and still lose. That is not a weakness, that is life. We're Starfleet officers. Weird is part of the job. Base, the final frontier. Make it so. Do it. Hit it. Let's fly. I'm Lindsay. And I'm Aiden. And we're the Bix. And we are here today to discuss the greatest Star Trek oh, movie of all time, on. according to Lindsay, of it's course. <laughs> uh, it is her absolute favorite. I, I bring this up every time. You had a really good justification. I do have a really four. good justification for it. You, but you grew up You grew up on this movie, Lindsay. I did. It is the, your childhood Star Trek experience. And uh, yeah, it's The Final Frontier. Uh, number five, uh, mostly regarded as possibly the weakest of the original cast movies it's Um, probably like tied with nemesis for the worst star trek movie of the the 90s early all the star trek movies movies? yeah Yeah. i think that's fair to say um but it it we just we just we actually just watched it right before recording this uh just to refresh and you know really get fresh exposure to Mm -hmm. it and uh you know there was there's a little more redeeming value than i remember and i'll probably forget about it uh in the well this is why we're recording this so that we have a a record of you saying final frontier is not that bad oh it's that bad but it's it has i want to hear what you think is so bad about this oh don't worry Lindsay. we will get there uh but for now before we do that um do you want to do the plot synopsis now Lindsay? like do you want to just get out of the way so that we can just move on yeah talk about the other things okay sure okay okay you're gonna have 30 seconds yep 30 seconds on the timer Uh uh-huh uh in which you will be able to describe the entire plot of this film correct uh that's the plan okay this is just me delaying so i can get uh the 30 second timer on my phone okay Lindsay, whenever you're ready i'm ready in three two one so the enterprise the enterprise a is given its first chat first task which is to go rescue some hostages quote unquote from a paradise city a planet a peace planet which uh they, they go there and they find out that a religious extremist who happens to be Spock's brother has taken over and is really trying to lure a starship there so that he can bring them to the god planet, I guess, Shakari, which is, you know. And in the end, that that's not at all. God doesn't actually, it's not even there. <laughs> like, it's not even God. It's it's just a, 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 a dude. Lizzie, that was actually not bad. I mean, there's, there's not much to it. <laughs> it is a very simple plot. I think you did a pretty good job. Um, yeah. He does successfully entrap the yes. Enterprise. Yes. And he brainwashes everyone. Uh, and yeah, well, he, and they brainwashes do, or... They, I, we'll, like, we'll, we'll talk we'll about, talk yeah, about what, it, what exactly that looks like. But yeah, that's that's pretty much it. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, it's, it's a... It's a... That's it. That's the movie. It's a thin film. <laughs> it is a thin film. There's it not feels... a lot. There's a whole B plot that really doesn't tie into much of anything at all, which is the Klingons yes. are also pursuing Kirk to this yeah. uh, peace planet. Presumably as retribution for something that happened in two or three. I, well, I think, or I think in the, the series. Yeah, I think knows? the idea is just like Kirk is now this like yeah, big, figure. yeah, this mythical figure in the Klingon Empire. Like, if you can take down Kirk, but I think you're yeah, okay. We'll we'll get to the Klingon Klingon teenagers because um, that's how I view them in my head. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, it, it's a thin film, and I think it reminds me a lot of like it's just a, an expanded TV episode. Yes, like it feels like this would be a, an okay TOS. one hour. TOS episode. Yeah. yeah. Right. They could have done it. Um, in fact, there are some that are very close to this where it's like, you know, mm-hmm. uh, a charlatan figure or the God is the charlatan. Yeah. You know? And so it's, it's firmly 
well-trodden ground for Star Trek at this point, especially for Kirk. But I think that that works in its favor because it does kind of feel like the culmination of all of Kirk's God bashing (laughs) that happens throughout the series. Yeah, that's fair. He's always, we mentioned it before, he's always like coming up against these godlike figures. Yeah. And besting them. Yeah, of course. Because they're not actually gods. Yeah. And and in this case, they he, are sometimes, yeah. he bests <laughs> the god with a simple question. Yeah. What does God need with a starship? Right. I mean, it's it's a it's a fairly um, in character moment. I yeah. Think. So I, I will fair. give it that. Um, let's talk about production. Of sure. This yeah. Film, yeah. Though, because it is yeah. a bit of a mess. Yeah. Um, Shatner was directed this film. Yeah. Um, famously, the the. Uh, the favored nations clause yeah. in their contracts. If if uh, Nimoy got to do something, Shatner got to do something, and vice versa. So yeah. so Nimoy um, had had the previous two movies, and now it was Shatner's turn. Yeah, it was just two. Yeah, right, three and three four. And four yeah, yep. yeah. So Shatner wanted to direct this one, and he he did do some writing for it, I believe. Yeah, I think I think he, he gets he the writing up, credit for yeah, this. Yeah, he does, and yeah. he uh, I I believe the history was he came up with the idea, and then mm-hmm. basically he and Harv Bennett kind of. Uh, wound up doing it back, doing a bit of back and forth, yeah. and bringing in other writers and stuff. Yeah. So, um, but yeah, Harv Bennett did come back. He was a, a executive producer, I believe, yes. for the film. Um, but he really didn't want to. He didn't have a great experience. <laughs> no, he um, was doing the previous three, which yeah. we talked about as like a, a nice, concise, wrapped up trilogy, the yeah. Spock trilogy, I guess. Yeah. Um, so he he felt like he was done with it, but he, they brought him back on, and um. Actually, Shatner was the one who convinced him to come back. And so uh, he's executive producing. Shatner is kind of, I think Harv Bennett gets a writing credit as well. Mm -hmm. But Shatner came up with the original idea. But everybody had thoughts on the script and it underwent a lot of um, rewrites and and things as like, you know, DeForest Kelly got into it. And uh, Leonard Nimoy, Gene Roddenberry, they all had moments where they, you know, messed around with the script a little bit and... Um, for example, I think one of the big rewrites that I don't know if this was Leonard Nimoy or DeForest Kelly who um, suggested it, but in one of the original drafts or one of the earlier drafts, um, both Spock and McCoy were going to turn on Kirk. Mm, so the scene where Cybok exposes their pain. And yeah, like yeah. it it works and yeah. they both turn on him and, and whoever objected to that was like, that's really out of character for these yeah. two. Like yeah. they are his... Best friends, and yeah. and the film does a really good job of portraying that, yeah. which we'll get to, I think, when we talk about our our thoughts of yes, it. Yes, yeah. yes, yes, exactly. Um, but yeah, this whole idea for the search for God—that was kind of the the kind of the kernel of a story that um, was there from the very beginning, and um, it was based on this idea of like televangelists yeah which i love i yeah. think that was it really had a moment there in like the 80s and 90s well, 70s I, mean, I guess as far yeah as yeah i mean they've yeah they started in the 70s and they continued on through i mean they're still televangelists who are still you know making tons and tons of money so i mean this but are they televangelists they must have other they're yeah, like now they're on the internet i'm assuming yeah they're on YouTube, but they're the but, same same idea yeah, right same, there's always been yeah. snake oil salesmen yeah. no matter where you are if yeah. you've got something to sell right yeah um so yeah this this the premise, I think, is really good, and, and televangelists are kind of a an interesting target for Star yeah. Trek because they they again like they as much as as many godlike figures as Spock mm-hmm. and Kirk and McCoy have come across. Uh, there's very little actual discussion or parallels to actual human religions. Right, um, it's not something that they directly. A tackle in no. the episodes very often. Uh, I mean, Next Generation did a little bit more when you get into the later eras yeah. with, you know, uh, Who Watches the Watchers and yeah. uh, Picard's little speech there. But for the most part, uh, there's not really a lot of talk of God at all. No. And very little of the men, and mostly men, who, you know, use that likeness in order to further their Swindle own agenda. people. Yeah, exactly. But it's nice. It's a nice sci-fi twist on that idea. Like, it, it brings... Yeah. Um, religion into it in a in an interesting way for star trek because star trek famously is a is a well roddenberry intended or or forced it i guess to be kind of an atheistic show right like it really did not talk about god at all and this is the closest we get like mccoy does seem to be like a god-fearing guy um and you know, on the same level as no, you're not on the same level, but close to what Cyborg is is he's he's like a prime target for this, right? Yeah. Um, and that's this is the closest we come to that, and I think I like that about the film that it it um it does 
it does that sci-fi thing where it takes a, a modern day problem and it extrapolates it and it makes it yeah into a with the the one caveat that it makes it too too direct well like yeah like like to have it be Eden uh, yeah. and like you know very specifically talking about like Judeo Christian like it felt too specific yeah it could have been more general I don't know no that's I, my... I, I think that's fair and I think like um like you had it here uh the Cybok character's relationship to that thing also changed yeah. over the course of the the many drafts it was he started off as kind of like a uh, a knowing swindler like yeah. he, he's a snake oil salesman who who is very much aware he sells yeah. snake oil uh whereas the Cybok we get is very is genuine in his belief. And that really translates into throughout his whole character. Like yeah. we were saying when we were watching it, we're like, he is a pretty charismatic guy. I can see why people follow him. You yeah. Know? Like, and you, you almost feel bad for him by the end. Like he's not, he's not the worst villain. No, by any stretch. All. He's not even really like a truly bad guy. He, yeah, he doesn't, he, he doesn't kill anybody. No, he doesn't he, want to he doesn't violence, want any or, violence anything. or anything. Yeah. Um, so he's kind of, yeah, he's a peaceful guy who just wants to see this religious idea fulfilled and so um that sympathetic quality is something that um i i i don't want to say i didn't expect it from star trek but knowing the feel that star trek always had like the way it always approached religion Mm -hmm. not antagonistically but certainly not Cynic, maybe not cynically, but skeptically yeah, for skeptically. sure. Yeah. They they put a lot of thought and and I think anyway a lot of thought into Cybok, mm-hmm. and it helps that the actor who portrayed him, um, uh, Luckinbill, Lawrence Luckinbill, is that his name? Why am I asking you? You're not going to know. <laughs> Lindsay, the look on my face <laughs> should explain everything. To anyway, you. <laughs> I, I think that's his name. The actor who played, um, he's married to Lucille Ball's daughter. Oh really? Wow. Yeah. Okay. Um he he's just he does a really great job in that. Yeah, role. he sells it. Yeah. Yeah. yeah absolutely. So it's it's definitely um he's not he's not a bad guy. Um no. but in in original drafts I think they were going to get more to the question of if I guess if the televangelist character was going to be very cynical and um knowing about his Deception. Role in this, yeah, yeah. Then the question isn't about the deception of humanity or the deception of people, but more about the existence of the thing that he's trying to swindle. And that's where I think original oh, drafts okay. were going to go: was does God exist? And yeah. that's something that no one really yeah. wanted to touch. And, and I don't blame is, them for that. No, and that's I mean, because Q does exist, obviously. <laughs> so there it is. But right. you know, yeah, there's there's that. That's not the way Star Trek. Deals no, with things. It's, no. it's through an exploration of the human process, which yeah. in this case you have the skeptic Kirk and the other the, skeptic Spock, and then you have Cybok, yeah, who's which like a, I just realized is yeah. the two names combined. And yeah, he is the believer. He is yeah. the genuine believer who who really does hope to see God. Yeah. And it's I think that's a better uh, better way for Star Trek to tackle it. Yeah, sure. yeah. yeah. Um, so I think famously. Uh, this is not a, a. I'm not revealing anything that is unknown, but Shakari. Yeah. So the cyborg character was supposed to be played by Sean Connery. Or they wanted him. Or they at wanted least. him yeah. or something, and he wouldn't do it. Yeah. So they just named the planet Shakari, which sounds like Shakari. Sean Connery, just missing a few syllables. Um, so that I thought was kind of fun. <laughs> wow. Okay. You well. knew that, right? No, I did not know really? that. So that's thank you, thank you, Lindsay. Okay, I thought we had talked about. This. I'll never be able to look at that planet again, which will be fine <laughs> with me. Can you imagine if Sean Connery had played Cyborg? Yeah, that would have been different. <laughs> yeah, I can't. He, he's not. Really he's imagine. not. He's not warm enough. No, Cyborg was so. Yeah, he really did. Whoever Little Grove. Luckinville. It's Luckin- Lawrence Luckinville. <laughs> Little Grove? What the hell? It started with an L. We watched Lord syllables. of the Rings the other day, too, and Aiden's just like... Oh, too many names. Proudfoot, just- <laughs> Brandybuck, <laughs> whatever. <laughs> Making them up at this point. But yeah, he would have definitely brought something very different yeah. to that character, so I'm glad they went with him. So We're Starfleet officers. Weird is part of the job. So yeah, back to production. Um, takes place in late 1988, apparently during a Teamsters strike and mm. um, a WGA, the Writers Guild of America strike that impacted um, the was it the second season of TNG? Yes, where they had to have yeah. that clip show they at the end because the they, yeah. ran, out they ran out of episodes. Yeah. Um, so and and I read a really interesting story. Um, it may have been on the Wikipedia page. I don't remember exactly where it is, um, but I'll find it and I'll cite it. Um, that they had some very creative. Um, 
like picket line crossing oh, with yes, the use of non-union yeah, yeah. drivers. Yeah. But apparently they had like one of their trucks blew up. And I'm like, Whoa. I'm like, did the Teamsters blow up a truck? Because I mean, I I guess I wouldn't put it past them if you're you know in the middle of a scab you get you get what's coming to you i'm just saying (laughs) (laughs) but it it was interesting so they had to like under cover of darkness move everything it was very like shakespeare and company moving the the theater (laughs) across the river right but you know out to the mojave desert or wherever the hell they filmed it yeah yeah um, it was a Mojave. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Thirty-three million dollars to make this film, which is something like it, like eighty million or something in no. today's currency. Yeah. So, you know, that's it's, a fair, it's, it's a, a fair budget. amount. It's a healthy yeah. budget, but it was much less than um, what Shatner wanted. Well, or yeah. that uh, previous films had gotten. Right. Oh, really? Yeah. So the they couldn't. Well, part of the reason why the special effects suck. Let me rephrase that because people put a lot of hard work into that. They are not up to par with previous films because Industrial Light and Magic did not do it. They were busy working on um, Indiana Jones and Ghostbusters, the second Ghostbusters film. So they were busy working on that. So fine. All right. You can have those films. They're good films. Um, So another team had to do the the special effects and they just didn't, they weren't able to do as much with it and especially on on a reduced budget. So it was a reduced budget. Um, They had to cut corners wherever they could. Um, I guess they scouted out locations that were very close together so that they could um, reduce travel time. Yes, you mentioned that when we were watching it. Yeah. I was like, oh, the Eden looks a lot like the, the, <laughs> the earlier Eden. Yeah, the, the Peace Planet, planet. Yeah. whatever it is. Yeah, yeah Nimbus 3 looks yeah, a lot yeah. like, yeah. Well, because they turned the corner in the Mojave and they filmed over there, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, With a purple filter on. Yeah, right. Like, well, yeah. you know, you got to do what you got to do. What did they do back in the 60s? They just put they a different color the, screen. Exactly. At least so, it was green and then red the next okay Lindsay, not just a purple over top but yeah. anyway yeah. um speaking of blue screens they actually did a lot of <laughs> rear projection stuff to save yeah. money you notice that a little bit with the mountain climbing scene at least i did at the start yeah well and some of the um oh that uh, one wasn't bad it looked pretty good actually, no that but, one was all right yeah. there's some stories about that too but i think the the view screen stuff was uh, rear projection rather than blue screen so um again just to save money yeah, 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 yeah. compositing yeah. costs and everything yeah, yeah. like that um and there were a lot of bad luck mishaps that that plagued mm. the production um it was extremely hot like i read somewhere like 45 50 degree heat Whoa. in the desert so i mean everybody went a little stir crazy um yep. including shatner those night scenes would have been a pleasure <laughs> to film right yeah. can you imagine no wonder they filmed so much at night then yeah. um the villain that they were going to have at the end, Aiden. Oh, you, yes, I love this. Yeah. I hadn't. I didn't know about this until I was researching it. But this is apparently a fairly yeah. No, I, story. I I don't remember where I first heard about it. It might have been uh, uh, what's his name, the YouTuber that we watch occasionally, Roman. Rowan J. Coleman. Rowan J. Coleman. Yeah. Thank you. Excellent, I, excellent channel. Yeah, great channel. Subscribe. Absolutely. He's not sponsoring this, but just... <laughs> just do it anyways. <laughs> uh, I think he might... It might have been him uh, who mentioned mm, that they were okay. originally going to have these rock monsters that Kirk was going to fight. They call and, him a rubber man in the stories that I was reading. Okay. Probably because the rocks were made of rubber. Yeah, yeah. Maybe, they, but... Yeah, so, the, so that the actors underneath could, could fight and stuff yeah. like that. But they were supposed to be... Like when all those rocks come up out of the earth and form the little oh. semicircle thing, yeah, yeah. I think there's also supposed to be some rock dudes mm-hmm. also prowling around there or mm-hmm. it might have been afterwards when Kirk's getting chased I'm, I'm right. not I'm not 100% clear on on exactly when they were supposed to appear um but yeah the they they couldn't get them to look anywhere half decent they spent a lot of money and time on yeah. them apparently and, and they so. broke down they went to film the first scene and apparently he could blow smoke and fire oh. and stuff on command and it just didn't work oh. so not only did it look bad on camera it didn't work so then they came up with this you know floating head floating head thing which is okay it's a little bit zordon from power rangers yes a little bit i mean i love zordon so sure but you know (laughs) as far as feature film as far as villains go but but when you realize that it's not i I think the one thing that kind of beggars belief i don't really know what the entity is but he's been trapped there yeah i'm assuming it's something like that episode of tng where the, it's like the prison prisoners who are yes. you know escape and inhabit yeah. Troy and Data and O'Brien. Yeah, he, this guy can take over ships. But then why didn't he just take over the, yeah, the Klingon know. Bird of Prey? 
when it I just don't know. showed up on his doorstep. I don't know. And then and then he kind of like escapes from the thing and is floating around disembodied yeah, chasing already, Kirk. chasing Kirk over the desert, which is a little strange as well. Yeah. Um, so I do I'm not really sure what he is, but but yeah, the effect no was done because out of necessity. Yeah. They they so ran out of it. They did options. what they could. Yeah. Yeah. Which yeah, I I do remember reading that uh this was like the 11th hour. Like they were yeah. literally like, it was, they yeah. filmed everything else and they're like, this thing is not going to work. work. We need to rewrite the script and like piece things together, which is crazy. Cause those are some very expensive sci-fi shots for the, the bird of prey and stuff like yeah. that. And like to have that, uh, have all the actors go to that set and everything like that. It just, it would have been a logistical nightmare. I can't even imagine, but yeah. Um, I, I, having not known this for the first six or seven times I watched this as a mm-hmm. child, I thought the ending worked pretty well, actually. Yeah. Like, it doesn't really show up until you nope. read about it. Um, yeah, yeah. So, yeah. A testament I, to them for I think it, it probably works better than having um, the god figure be corporeal, I think would yeah, maybe take it, some of the power away from whatever he is or yeah. whatever it is. Because yeah. um, it does seem to have a lot of omniscience i guess it it's able to project the face of like zeus and other people that you would expect uh you know so so clearly there's some level of omniscience there so to have him suddenly transform into like a rock man would be a little anticlimactic so maybe this was this worked out better i don't know it's hard to say because we didn't see it but i'm just picturing like kirk fighting the gorn yeah again and then it it would just be the same thing except yeah you know, yeah, blood Absolutely. smoke. I don't yeah. know. Yeah, the other interesting uh, story you mentioned the Yosemite uh, yes, scene, yeah, and uh, this was something funny because I don't, I don't know how many films Shatner had directed before this. If this was his first, uh, yeah, I don't. Think I mean, good for him if this was his first, but I honestly don't know how much of a director Shatner yeah, is. He had, yeah. Um, so obviously they didn't have him and Spock climbing El Capitan in no, in Yosemite National not, Park. Yeah, yeah. So they built like a a wall basically so that he could climb up five feet and they could film it and make it look like he was scaling, yeah. you know, with the right backgrounds and everything like that. Yeah. Um, so they filmed all of this and then apparently they got back and they started doing or or looked look at the the dailies the or whatever footage, yeah, yeah. and they realized Shatner had set up the shot so that there were trees like <laughs> he's supposed to be hundreds of feet in the yeah, air yeah 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 and then there's like trees <laughs> like the treetops are right there are so visible? like the the depth of field and the the scale mm, and everything yeah. was way off yeah. so they had to go back and reshoot everything and i just thought that was just i mean it it was listed under like the bad luck mishaps but that's just like Seems like a rookie move, or maybe you're just really excited to set up and get it done, and then yeah, like, I'm, shoot, I'm sure, there's, I'm a sure tree. there's lots of productions that have that. I mean, you would hope your DP or somebody else would figure would, it out, would, would see that, or you know, somebody at some point would take a look at the daily. But yeah. I mean, they did catch it. They did catch they it. Did make the final cut. Yep. So can't complain. Shut up, Wesley. Lindsay, how did this film do in the box office? Well, it premiered to the highest gross of any Star Trek film. Oh. The first weekend, it knocked it out of the park. Oh, just um, the first weekend. Yeah, and then steadily <laughs> dropped after that. Okay. Uh, okay. Because it, it did get mixed to negative reviews. It wasn't all negative. There were some things say. that people liked, but uh, generally speaking, I think it has like a 22% Rotten Tomato score and yeah. around 50% Metacritic. So it's not... It's definitely not beloved. Um, I don't think it's fair to say that this film... I mean, it's been said about other films, the motion picture, they said it about that. They said it about um, The Next Generation, that it was going to kill the franchise. Yeah. People say that about Final Frontier, and I don't think that's true. Um, Because, obviously, Next Generation was heading into its third season by the time this film premiered in 89. And it was getting well on its way and... But if it viewers, yeah. if it had been the final film for the original series crew, you would be forgiven for um, saying makes it killed sense. it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. No, yeah. I understandable for sure. Although it does, you know, it ends on a positive note, and it's got the core characters there and everything. Yeah. So I mean, it's not the worst, but yeah, it's. Uh, yeah, it's it not been, the worst. It's not the worst in the sense of being a finale. Oh, Sorry, yeah. You're saying that like figuratively. Yeah, yeah, mm. yeah. It's not the worst in that particular aspect. In all other aspects, absolutely the worst. Yes. What I thought was really interesting was that even though Harv Bennett was not interested in coming back yep. for, um, for this, this film, yeah, for five after it 
premiered, he was given the go-ahead to produce a prequel series or film. Film? Series. Set at the Academy. They've been talking about this forever, I know, right? I know. Yeah. So I thought that was really interesting. And I don't know if it would have been like the original series crew at the Academy mm-hmm. or if it would have been Next Gen Crew at the Academy the or whatever. Yeah, okay. But eventually that idea was kiboshed and they did Star Trek Six. Yeah, they, they continually kibosh Academy yeah. series. So, Which is like, I want to see that well, so bad. it's coming. It I is mean, coming. They, You're right. So I'm well, glad. For well, now. for now. Maybe it'll be... <laughs> maybe it'll be killed. I mean, maybe it's just a really <laughs> difficult thing to write because... But how? Well, Star Trek is... You know, what is your university days actually like? It's a lot of studying, trying to get laid, and getting drunk. And those aren't Star Trek things. Like, Star Trek thing is going off to explore or facing deep-seated politics and, you know, So you can't face deep-seated politics in, like, a model UN version of the... No, you just get Georgia <laughs> the country, not Georgia the state. That's the pinnacle of, of the modern college... Uh, you know, that's a deep cut. Series. That's a deep cut. Not, I don't know how many of our listeners watch Community. Everybody should watch Community just for that episode. We'll link to it. Is it okay if we do accent sugar? The, you know, like it is. It's a difficult kind of avenue to go down. I think I, I, I will be if they come out with something that's not like part sitcom. I don't know how it's gonna. It would fly, work. That would know? work. I think that would work if they did do it, and if if it was like like lower deck style, but only in the sense of being a comedy set in Star yeah, Trek. Yeah, yeah. Because otherwise, you just have a bunch of eighteen year old what Wesley Crushers. Like, yeah, like yeah, there was Wiz that. Kids. Yeah, and it's like that's kind of it's like crazy. Buffy then or something where it's like super serious, but they're. Like in the future, I don't know. You're right. Maybe yeah. maybe it wouldn't work. But is it, is I'm, Nova I'm curious. Nova Squad every see. week, like yeah, you yeah. know, like is that what we're gonna get out of the Academy series? I don't know. But anyway, sorry, sorry. They we're completely way, derailing way off this tangent. one. Um, let's continue derailing this tangent uh, by going to today's sponsor, Lindsay. Prophetic Titles is our episode sponsor today. Um, become an honorary Kai and help reestablish the vital Jumja stick economy on Bajor with your purchase of this novelty gift item. For one low price, you can purchase a one foot by one foot by one foot cube of three-dimensional space beside the Celestial Temple, which grants you the right to title yourself Kai. <laughs> this is absolutely historically accurate. According to all the best sources, trust us, why would we make this up? <laughs> and it's definitely not a scam. Each patch of space comes with ownership rights beside the holiest of holy Bajoran sites and use of the grand honorary title Kai. Use it on your shuttlecraft license, transporter passport, Replimat reservations, the sky is the limit. As a bonus for a recurring monthly fee, you could get a 10-foot cubed area and the very special t- right to title yourself Emissary. Think of it, Emissary Aiden. Wouldn't that be cool? <laughs> Has a nice ring to it. Uh, order now with the special code BIXPROFIT15 and get 15% off your total purchase and secure pl- plot of land adjoining ours. Space, a plot of space. Whatever. That's Big's Profit 15 for 15% off, and we get to be Space Cube neighbors. Order today. The guys at, uh, what's it called? Established Titles? They're going to sue us for that, for sure. <laughs> Probably. Actually, you're not <laughs> wrong. That might happen. Cool. Well, live long and prosper. So, Lindsay, uh, overall thoughts? I, I will hold back. I'll let you do some talking, too. No, I've done all the talking so far. I okay. want to hear your your thoughts. It is Honestly. a bad film. Uh, <laughs> the plot is weak. The characterization is all over the place. The best part about this movie, the part that surprised me again watching it today, the cast, they are comfortable with each other. They nail yeah. the comedic. I laughed more, almost more in this one than I did in 4. And 4 was, we talked the about it a lot last week, comedy. designed to be the comedic. <laughs> the line that you laughed at for like 10 minutes was like, hold your horse, Captain. <laughs> And he's like on a horse. Hold your horse. <laughs> and I'm like, I, like, I've watched this movie a dozen times and I never, ever caught that. I never heard it, never picked up on it. It just, just sails like, right over. It's, it's, it is that I will say, uh, it, it really works well. Uh, the, but everything else. Can you explain? This. Okay. So you said the characterization was, was all over the place. I would like to hear more about okay, what you so think is I think, bad characterization. Well, it's not that it, the characters are well-defined. Okay, yeah. So maybe all over the place isn't fair, but there is no character arc. 
Like it, Kirk has his, I'm not going to, am I going to die alone? Am I not going to die alone? Yeah. But there's no other discussion of, of death. I mean, I guess pain is a gateway to well, death and, and he's holding on tight, I guess. But a few episodes or a few episodes, a few movies ago, we were dealing with the process of aging and dying. Yeah. And his son has just died, you know, Okay, but that, none of that I know, is I in know. this movie. Like it, it is. Not directly mentioned. You're right. No. And I mean, you have Spock goes through this, like, I have a brother who I've never mentioned is obviously not that important to me. I well, haven't it seen didn't him. Come up. And I, and I have... mentioned that, you know, like, oh, a long time ago, there was a guy who was really, really smart. Not going to mention he's my brother. Like, there's just, there's, because they needed that turnabout. They needed that twist halfway through the movie to reveal that Cyborg is Spock's brother. Mm. And it's like, that doesn't make any sense. <laughs> like, there's this, there's the McCoy, the the, the McCoy sequence uh, where with his father is yeah. very well done, very touching. Um, and you get the sense that obviously he did a similar trick on Uhura and Sulu and, right. and Chekhov and everything. Um, but you don't see those. Those right. characters have zero to do in this movie. You're right. Uh, Scotty has the great gag of running his head into the thing mm-hmm. and getting knocked out. That's awesome. Uhura has the fan dance. Uhura has the fan dance, which I think uh, you and I both said we, we'd read somewhere that she really wanted to do this. And she wanted yeah. to sing again. And, you know, she did that a lot in the first season. Yeah. And, and then it kind of disappeared. Um, and I think they dubbed out her voice. So she was I, Yeah, pissed. something like that. I can't that, remember I if that's for sure. But, um, yeah. So, I mean, like... Chekhov you're right, has, you're right. he has the cute thing where he's the captain or he's pretending to be the captain and Sulu has a couple glances with the captain when he's flying the, sh- the shuttlecraft in. That's it. Yeah. Um, the whole B plot with the Klingons is completely useless. It's literally yeah. just, it, you could easily have the Enterprise lowering down into orbit and blowing the guy up again, you know, to save Kirk. You don't need to have the Klingon ship there to go do that. It's literally just like, oh, we've got this Klingons. We want the Klingons to show up again. Yeah. And no, that definitely didn't have nothing to do with it. There, there's like no tension that's really built up by the Klingon subplot. It's just because the and, and Klingons there, are a villain. So yeah, let's bring them back. And that yeah. that kind of shows Shatner's kind of na- you know na- uh, nouveau novelty. Uh, naivete Naivete, as as a director as a as a writer you know like these are these are things that are pretty easy to to weed out in the writing process that didn't happen and i i get okay i'll I'll grant you that and that's why i think this feels like an extended episode where you don't need to have um character arcs necessarily because you're dealing with characters over the course of a season or or whatever so it does it does lack that but i also think that i I think cyborg has the best character arc yeah sure (laughs) and i think he steals the movie because of it and And i I think that there are moments in this in the episode that work well because in the movie (laughs) that work well because um because these characters are comfortable and well known Mm -hmm. that we don't need to have a bunch of Build up yeah, and like it, yeah. it. We've yeah. we've just been through like some pretty heavy shit with like Spock dying and being resurrected, and then you know, episode four, the whales, the one with the whales. I mean, it, it's comic relief mm-hmm. for that whole ending of that plot. So you come into this one, and it's kind of like it's a little bit lighter. It's a little bit less. It's it's funny in the sense that there's like grand. Um, stakes i guess this is god we're talking about not really but that's what they think and and yet there's yeah a lot of lighthearted banter and so it it does i think balance that a little bit better than you might expect but i i will say i think it works in a sense i think it could have worked better because um i think it's cyborg who who's like you don't know them you didn't know them as well as you think you did because you didn't know this about spock you didn't know this about uh, bones and so um but that doesn't matter in the end like because well, they're still ex- a family so. yeah and it doesn't get explored very often like or, or well enough like they, they don't yeah. really have this like they they go through the whole uh sequence where they're in the brig and yeah. they're fighting about everything and that's yeah. when you realize that Cybox uh spock's brother yeah um but you really need that after they've had this confrontational moment. That's when you need to have these characters sit down and, and explore what it yeah. means to not know them as yeah. well as yeah. like that, no. that possibility is there, right? Yeah. But instead they're just going into the middle of the No, I, I agree. I think that yeah. I think that's right. I think you're right about that. Um but I do think it it's one of its greatest strengths is with those three characters. Absolutely, like I think yeah. that um yeah, the whole the previous films didn't do four did a lot of Kirk Spock yes. stuff. 
Um, Spock wasn't really in the search for Spock. No. Um, but neither like well, it was, he was, it was the by Kirk a McCoy. Show. So you know. yes, okay, but it wasn't it wasn't like this. Like this no. is definitely like the the Three Musketeers kind yeah. of like they all play such a central role, which is really refreshing. I think that um, DeForest Kelly and Leonard Nimoy are like at peak. I think I said that like this is peak Spock, peak McCoy. Yeah, it feels yeah. like like episode. Characters yeah, absolutely. all over again, yeah, and, and, and I we think haven't that, seen that. No, no, and I think that I think that you can see it's a strength in the film is because it's a strength of Shatner's. Like yeah. he really understood these characters, yeah. and their dynamic and their, yeah. their their witty repartees and so how they can land those jokes. That that stuff. is why I think there's there's always been a kernel there that I felt was very authentic about this film. It just mm-hmm. didn't go far enough, and and the Klingon subplot could have been axed entirely to make room for more of an exploration yeah. of who these characters are to each other. Um, Having been through all of this together, um, why not talk about why, why Spock didn't explain this? Why not talk about McCoy's father's death and the guilt over that? Why not talk about Kirk deciding or it revealing that he knew he was always going to die alone. That, that's a pretty heavy thing to just dump on your friends while you're having a little campfire sing-along. Yeah. So, I mean, let's explore that a little bit more. But I think well, that the yeah. kernel is there. It just didn't get fully Yeah, explored. it didn't get fully explored. And, and I, I agree. I think, and I think one of the worst things that the, the movie fails at and, and fails to do right by its characters in is not having... Kirk's pain exposed. Yeah. And like I, what I, is his pain? Well, and that's the thing. Like, I, A, I want to know that. Yeah. And B, I want him to uh, have it exposed and not have that change anything in him. Yeah. Because he is, I mean, his his speech about, you know, I need my pain, uh, you know, that is a, a totally healthy way of looking at, totally. at, at uh, human psychology. And I feel like you can still get that even after you've been exposed. And I think it's stronger if he gets that pain exposed and then he still is like, yeah, I know. I already knew this about yeah. myself. You know, he yeah. really, because that's what Spock did. Like Spock. Well, th- I was just thinking that, that you've got McCoy who has the overly emotional response, which is perfectly in character for it's him. McCoy, and you've yeah. got um, Spock with the perfectly logical response. And then Kirk was always trotting that, that middle ground between mm-hmm. the two. And so, Having him just not even engage with the pain felt like a cop-out. I think that the speech, like you said, is really great. And I think that resonates with his character Mm -hmm. really well, really, really well. But you're right. Like, what would be the pain that Kirk could face that that might be holding him back? and, And how does he deal with that when faced with it? You know, he should be able to just look past it. I think you're absolutely right. That would have been a stronger moment. Yeah. Um, it is an interesting question, though. Like, what? Yeah, I mean, like, would... is it is is, is it son dying again? But right. he never really cared for his son. Didn't well, know he, he didn't existed. Know, well, well, he didn't care enough to yeah. learn about him for a long time. I mean, you know, I was like... going to say his dad dying, but that happened in the Kelvin universe, so <laughs> it wasn't really the same thing. Um, his it, brother dying. Yeah, like, well, he, gotta he be... mentioned I lost a brother once, and he came back, and it's like, yeah, no, no, he, he didn't. He died. Lost a brother. He died in the first or the second <laughs> season or something. Like, come they on. They were there. <laughs> they they knew that that happened. I thought that's what he was referencing know, when he started, and then he's like, came back. No, no, it's a found family thing. Yeah, yeah, which is. Um, yeah, no, I, you're right. I think that I, it's just, it gets close to something that could have been really great. And I think that's what's so disappointing about the film, but I still, I still enjoy it. I do think as far as Star Trek films go, it, it does the sci-fi thing really well by taking a, a A focus point. Yeah. For like modern audiences Mm -hmm. and, and transporting it into a a sci-fi setting. Um, but it de- like thematically, it's character st- development. Yeah, it, it could have gone under. Further. It's underdeveloped. Yeah. I feel like I, I don't think it deserves the the crap that it get that gets thrown at it. I think that <laughs> I know I know you do, but I just I don't think it's as bad as I think everybody should rewatch it and and just put on some purple tinted. Nimbus three glasses. No, it's Shakari <laughs> glasses. Just, just you know, have an edible. Just relax and <laughs> drink enjoy a little, the jokes. Yeah. Sit, yeah, and just sit back and enjoy it for what it is. The music is fantastic. Jerry Goldsmith. Yeah, came back. Yeah. I did not agree with that statement. Oh either. my god. Okay, it was, it was fine. It no, was fine. The okay, and maybe this is me talking because um, because I grew up with it. But the <laughs> the the song that plays, the piece that plays when Kirk is climbing the mountain at the beginning, and it happens at the end when they're talking. They're at the bow. They're with the big 
steering wheel. Yeah. What is that called? On a ship? Oh, God. Why can't I think of that? It's the steering wheel. It's the steering wheel of a ship. <laughs> yep. Um, <laughs> and they're talking about God. It's called The Mountain. And I think it's up there, in my opinion, with Wait, the, the song is called The Mountain. The song is called Sorry, The Mountain, not I The Thing. talking about The yes, Steering Wheel Yes, The Steering Wheel is called The Mountain. I, was, I don't know nautical terms. Maybe <laughs> it is. I don't know. Okay. But the, sorry, song the song is called The Mountain, and it is up there for me with the First Contact uh, theme oh. and the Voyager theme for, like, spine-tingling... Uh, I kid you okay. not, it's it's okay. something about the chord progressions, something about the... There's just so much yeah. moving... Okay there that I just teach I, their own I, I, love it. I thought it was very bland um which is not something I would usually say about Jerry Goldsmith's well it's work a lot of Star reusing Trek. a lot of the older it is themes. it the, is and the maybe, and maybe theme, that, yeah the, yeah but it, it doesn't have it doesn't have quite the punch that you know you know Wrath of Khan did it doesn't have like the memorableness of Voyage Home uh I found even Undiscovered Country is is kind of underrated for that although I think the music in that movie is a little uh less important than than the uh, sound design mm-hmm. overall, but mm-hmm. we can get to that one in the next episode. Um, but yeah, I, 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 Lindsay, I think something you noticed and something I agree with absolutely is that televangelist angle yeah. was the one really, really interesting kernel. I think, I think the whole like finding God and is he there or not, uh, as we discussed was kind of not the right direction no. to go down, No, but the whole televangelist thing was kind of a stroke of genius. And I think I think that stuff and the fact that Cybok played it so well yeah. um, was the saving grace for Absolutely. me in terms of making it watchable yeah. as opposed to something that I dread watching. Like when we watched it, I'm like, yeah, okay, let's watch five again and, you know, it'll be fine. But yeah. uh, I don't look forward to it, but it, I don't I don't actively dislike it as much as I remember doing that. And I think I think that uh, nugget there is is really the key to it. Yeah. You agree? I agree. After we dump this in storage, let's hit the bar and see if we can get a cute lieutenant to argue with me. Interesting. Why would you want that? I don't know. Getting some uptight hunk all wound up just gets me all... Supplicate yourselves! Ah! Bixlog 43789.7 The first Bixlog of 2023. During routine cleanup duties this afternoon, it occurred to both Lieutenant Aiden and I that the central question of this film strikes our philosophical fancy in a way few others have done in the last several weeks. Seeing as how we both hold similar views on subjects theological, it may not be the most explosive discussion, but nevertheless I am curious to discover what Aiden thinks about why people are so frequently hoodwinked by religious extremists. I I think I know what you're going to say. Actually, I don't really know what you're going to say about this. It's it's kind of a question that... We, I don't think we've ever done anything this quite this philosophical before. I don't know no, that there's the two sides to this there's necessarily. Multiple sides, there's yeah. multiple sides. It's a philosophical discussion. Um, why are people drawn into cults or drawn in by religious figures like Cybok? Yeah, the the preacher, the street preacher of our time, well, of their time. Sort of. Sort of. Yeah, I. it's an interesting question. I think there's... The Marxist uh, materialist in me would say when people <laughs> don't have their needs met, they will turn to some, anything that will say, right. I can meet your needs. And, uh, you know, you know, opiate of the masses, absolutely. It's, it's yep. you know, it's something to help you feel as though your terrible circumstances are not so terrible. And that, that, that rings true for a lot of, for a lot of the time for me. Um, but I also know lots of people who are very well off who you know, maybe didn't even grow up in the most religious of circumstances and they, they find their way to religion and not usually to like cults though. Like, yeah. So like yeah. there's, there's that distinction too, I think is really important. Cause like he, Cyborg is set up as a televangelist, someone who is there yeah. to sell God, not someone who's there to help you find a spiritual connection. I think, but that's I think he important. genuinely does want people to find that yes, for themselves. But, yes. But he's, he's a, he's, misinformed because yes. his god doesn't exist yes and b he's he's shown to be the charismatic one who who gets to you i think i think the big thing is that he is the one who convinces them to join not based on their own um connection to god or need for god it is there's kind of two elements to Cybok in this in the film. One, I will take away your pain 
B, <laughs> I, will, <laughs> I, will show you, I will show you God. Yeah. And those things aren't really connected in the movie. And that's one of the well, things I forgot to bring up when we were yeah, talking yeah, about yeah. it. But those two elements are not actually in any way connected except through the character of Cybok. And I think that's why... Um, and I think that's actually a telling thing about the televangelists. And that's maybe a, a good reason, a good answer that the movie kind of supports is that I will make your life better. Yeah. Oh, and there's here's God. Meanwhile, here's here's how mm. you're asking how I'm doing it. It's God. There's an ego thing to it, maybe that the televangelist or the, the religious leader, the religious extremist leader thinks that they are the ones that are showing you the light. They are the most important. Figure. No, I, well, to an extent. But I think it's more that that they're 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 doing the, the Marxist thing. They're they're treating the your physical or emotional or spiritual suffering and then saying, I'm doing this by God and you should follow God and therefore follow me. Like he's the right. he's the conduit. He's the only way that you can you can keep up this this lack of pain in the movie. Well, and, and that, I think that's that's true across for other televangelists. It's it's very much, uh, um, yeah. I want to. I'm gonna fix your life, and how am I gonna do it by God? But the 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 important thing about Cyborg is that he is a Vulcan, and I think the taking away mm. the pain thing is is related to, like, there's obviously some kind of like. I don't know, like he, he's able to project what they're thinking about or, or whatever. Mm -hmm. Like there's some kind yeah, of mind meld yeah. thing that's going on. So I genuinely think that Cyborg has abilities to do that. And I genuinely think he wants to help people. I think that his vision of God is, um, well, he, even he admits that he was arrogant and, and, mm. and I think that's the, that's something that, um, could have gotten really wrong that the, the film could have gotten really wrong mm -hmm. if cyborg hadn't been kind of repentant and then sacrificed himself at the end yeah. to save his brother and his friends yeah but um does that explain other like there are no televangelists out there who are also vulcan and are <laughs> literally able to take away your pain but they're still able to draw people in and, and uh, yeah i guess i guess you're right there's there's an element of, of opiate of the masses mm -hmm. going on where like you've got a lack of something and then this is there to fill it. Yeah. I would argue that that's the case for religion in general, mm -hmm. which is an arrogant thing for me to say, but <laughs> yeah, as quite, an atheist, but... <laughs> I don't think you would expect any different from no. me to say that. Um, but there's lack in everybody's lives and we fill it with different things. And I, I don't think there's anything wrong with that. It's yeah. when the, the, the lack that you feel becomes um, a problem for other people. Yes. And I think that's... Cyborg doesn't necessarily embody that, though, because he's no. not actively... He, it's not like he's got a jihad out on yeah. someone or, or on, on a nation or a group of people. He's yeah. not... He's very peaceful about it, like we yeah, said. Yeah, like there's, there's definitely... Other ways that that could be taken mm -hmm. in in very different ways. The the Shakari God character could be like the Apollo character in the oh. first season or second season of the original series, right? Yep. Where he'll hurt people or or like um, Trelane, right? Yeah, yeah. So they're baby cute. Yeah, yeah, there's there's a worse way that that could happen, and that doesn't happen in the film. And I think that's also important. It kind of softens. It makes the televangelist sympathetic. And yeah. I don't know if that was the intention or if that just happened as a result of having a charismatic actor portray the televangelist. Well, no, I mean, they, I, they, write, they give him a, a, a redemption arc. You know, he does sacrifice himself. I think, yeah. I think it is intentional that he... It, it, I think they... I think this is maybe one of the failings of the movie is that they do uh, have this televangelist who's not a televangelist. Mm -hmm. like, like, or at least he's, he's very sincere in his in his. Yeah, beliefs. he is. And I, I feel like that limits your ability to really like lampoon a televangelist yeah, yeah um and it's it's fine like i think it works okay in the movie um but it does kind of like question like they're not really downplaying because what if what if that had been god at right. the center like that, that totally changes it then cyborg's a genius and yeah and all these other things right and it really does kind of uh undercuts the whole well they're always selling a lie because mm -hmm. they only have to sell the truth once and then yeah. they're they're prophets they're not they're not sitting snake and then the thing that we haven't talked about at all is the people who have been brought into this 
So mm-hmm. a lot of, of Cybox original followers are the severely downtrodden. Mm-hmm. Like I was thinking about it, the reason that God doesn't need to exist in, in the Federation anyway is because your needs are taken care of, yeah. ostensibly. Yeah. Um, so, but on this Nimbus 3, it's in the neutral zone. It's kind of outside the yeah, jurisdiction. nobody's actually doing much to help them out. Yeah. yeah. So it makes sense that the guy with the bad teeth at the very beginning of the film yeah, is able teeth. to be drawn in. Mm-hmm. But what happens to him at the end of this? What happens to all the people who yeah. have been brought into this belief system? It well, does, it's not like it even, ends just because <laughs> well, like Uhura Cyborg is and dead. Yeah, Sulu, Chekhov like, and they've all been They've all been indoctrinated this way. Yeah. And there's no follow through on what that means or, or how it works. And, and, there, and I think that was maybe the, the chance to... Have them discuss, yeah. um, you know, the the effects of televangelism. Because if you were to actually look at, you know, deprogramming when people come out of cults. Yeah. Like, that's an it's extensive intense. process. Yeah. Now, Uhura and Sulu and Chekhov have been part of this for all of four hours. Yes. So and it's not like yeah. it's... Well, they're not, they weren't asked to do anything really terrible the way a lot of cult members but there yeah yeah yeah. but there were people who were following sabak presumably for a very long time he left vulcan and and left everything behind years ago on this quest it sounds anyway like spock and cybok yeah they know what's going on because this is a, a long ago problem yeah um so presumably there's 30 years of people who are following Cybok in this quest yeah you don't see that in the movie at all you don't you don't but yeah, yeah but it's hinted at so Cybok is able to just that that also beggars belief. I mean, I guess <laughs> yeah, good good plot. for Cybok that he's able to like stand back and say, "Wow, I was wrong." After believing something for so long, that that yeah. probably, but that's the logical side of him as a Vulcan, I guess. Maybe I don't know. Yeah, it's it's hard because like I feel like this again. Yeah, like like I said, this is this movie is not the best for discussing all televangelists. Yeah, um, it is kind of a weird halfway yeah. measure. Um, and I feel like it works for the film. It doesn't work for, for this kind of analysis, but I think as, I think as a rule, we've kind of touched on the main points of, yeah. of why these, these people tend to tend to work. There's also people who just have a genuine spiritual need. If you believe in that, uh, and are we talking about extremists or well, no, I'm about talking about the religion. people who follow, follow extremists oh, yes, or yes, people, yes, you know, yes. they, they have a spiritual need and they can't get it fulfilled through traditional churches and, and synagogues yeah, and mosques. Yeah, like you can't you know, imagine like, that people are joining Heaven's Gate or whatever because they, like, there's 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 an entryway, there's a gateway Well, no, maybe that. not. No, I mean, that's the thing. Sometimes Well, but it, it could be just as simple as I'm missing something yeah. and, and I, yeah. I'm looking for something genuine and then it, it blossoms into something much darker. Yeah. So I don't think people join cults looking for darkness. Like that's not, no. I don't, unless it's the Manson family, but you know, that's, that's not really what we're talking about. Yeah. Um, yeah. When it's, when it's a religious thing, it, it, I think there is legitimate reasons why people enter into that, but <laughs> you know, nobody, nobody is joining up with Cybok looking to destroy the universe or like rule yeah. the universe. That's not even what Cybok wants. Yeah. So when confronted with that by this entity that we're never even really sure yeah, what it is, what it or, is anything. or anything, yeah. you, you it know. is a strange it's a strange movie that way. Um, I feel like it is it is scatter my scatterbrained, just like I am when trying <laughs> to talk. Uh, you know, with no what is it wanting to say and what how is it going to say it most effectively? The movie really doesn't have that great of an idea. And I think I think even I think if I was reading the production history. Uh, Wikipedia entry <laughs> properly. At one point, I think Shatner even said, "Yeah, it was it was a good idea that we didn't execute very well." Yeah, and I feel like that's that's actually pretty fair. I think that's a good summary yeah. of, of no, the movie. Totally. You're a doctor. You know the pain and guilt can't be taken away with a wave of a magic wand. They're the things we carry with us, the things that make us who we are. If we lose them, we lose ourselves. I don't want my pain taken away. I need my pain. So, if you were to try and save the film, what's something that you would do? Aside from expanding on this this conversation that we've talked about quite often in this yeah, episode. Yeah, I'd get rid of the Klingons. Mm-hmm. I would change Cybox thing. I'd, yeah, I'd give him a bunch of followers already and have yeah. him maybe just like... He, he boards it with a Romulan ship. Like he attacks the Enterprise ah. when it's undermanned and, and undercrewed. And he has to do something with Spock. You know, maybe yeah. maybe Spock has information that he needs to extract in order to find the planet or, or give mm-hmm. it some more personal angle. Um, and, you know, have them, you know, go off, you know, not under their own volition and everything. Mm-hmm. Very similar, but, you know, I would have, I think, 
I would have Spock be actually the main character, which is right. tough for Shatner when he's directing <laughs> his first movie and he knows these characters so well and he has yeah. those strengths of, of having them play off each other. Um, but yeah, you'd have to look at it tonally, uh, thematically. You'd have to really kind of do some digging on how this is going to work. But And I, I think you'd have to make a decision with Cybok about him either being a snake oil salesman or a genuine believer. Yeah. And uh, if he's a genuine believer, don't, don't pitch it as a televangelist type story. Tell him, yeah. uh, tell it as, you know, these are believers that he's don't, don't let him, you know, brainwash people, take away the whole, I'll take away your pain thing yeah. and have him be, or have him, have him, uh, have the ability to guide someone to remove their own pain, you know, make him, make him the counselor that Troy never was. <laughs> you know, he uses his psychic powers to have you do yeah, it yourself. Yeah. He's yeah. not really involved in the process, right? right? Give him, give him a little more believability or turn him into just a straight up snake oil salesman mm-hmm. and, uh, re- recast everything with that angle yeah. uh, in mind. And I think the movie trying to do both kind of fails. So that, that's what comes to mind for me. What about you, Lindsay? Did you have like a specific fiction? Yeah, I mean, I think in talking about it and in watching it, I think the biggest strength of the film is is in those core characters, the mm-hmm. three main characters that we follow. Yeah. Um, oh, I'd also give all the other characters. Something yeah. To do, so, yeah. <laughs> so having more for the crew to do, I think this is the first time we see them actually crewing the Enterprise mm-hmm. since. Wrath of Khan. Right? Yeah. Uh, in their positions and everything? I, it's been longer than that, I think. They were there for Wrath of Khan, weren't they? On the Enterprise? Yeah. Oh, yeah, maybe they were. With the cadets. Yeah. Were they all there, though? So that's the I thing. Remember, I don't think yeah. they were. I think it's a series. <laughs> I think it, we have to go back to 1969 yeah. before yeah. we get that. But anyway, um, I think thematically the strength of the film is in that idea of friends becoming family and the found family Mm. aspect of it and i think you get that sense from some of the scenes i think if you just made that stronger then it really doesn't matter yes if cyborg is a terribly written character or if there's a klingon side plot as long as you have a strong core which you already have so if you already have that strength that's what you lean into that's what you make bigger and better and stronger and then Everything else around it can just orbit that as long as you know that core. That's what I would do. That's what I've been doing since I've been writing the last year or so is like I figure out what do these characters want? What do they need? Like and then everything pivots around that. Mm -hmm. So if you know that these characters, what they want and what they need is each other. Yeah. Everything else can just surround that. And then you can have Cybok infiltrating the trio and taking McCoy away and, and yeah, exploiting that. Yeah. And then and then it really it, it literally wouldn't matter that if Cybok was a, a piss poor televangelist caricature or yeah. a genuine believer or it it, it becomes secondary, right? Yeah. And you can have teenager Klingons just out for target practice. Because that's literally all they're doing. They're just bored. Yeah, yeah, they are. Yeah, the, yeah, the teenager thing is so accurate. So you you could just you know that could be there, but it just it 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 washes away. It just becomes so secondary to the central theme. Yeah, I think you, yeah, you you're right. I mean, I think that's the easiest fix for the story that we got. I, yeah. I, I think you're right, and I think actually, as you were saying it, you know, like <clears throat> what is Kirk's pain? The fact that he doesn't have a family. Yeah, probably. You know, I think that would probably, that yeah. would make a lot of sense. And to, you know, have that be assuaged by the fact that he does have a family. Well, and it's even mentioned at the end that didn't, McCoy's like, didn't you say that people like us don't yeah, have families? And he's like, I was wrong. Yeah. You know, okay, that's a big growth moment for Kirk there, right? But we got none of it in the middle. No, I don't know where no, that growth came no. from. And but I, I, I would have liked to see on. that. And I think that would have been the easiest way to fix yeah. it. Because yeah. it's just dialogue, right? Yeah. You could make it a really good found family film. Yeah. Which they were already kind of doing with The Next Generation. That's like the best found family. Of all time. Like, right? Yeah. Who didn't want to be but part of the, the Enterprise absolutely. team? But I mean, like, they but they did it gradually over seven seasons. And, and yeah, yeah. the original series yeah. was kind of, it was too early. Like, they just didn't have that no. in, in the 60s writing. And so, but it's kind of implied over the course of the movies that yes. they've been together and they're, they're fast friends and everybody. And they have that, that chemistry on screen yeah. that it feels like it. So, yeah, really lean to it. I, Great call, Lens. Great call. Double! <laughs> that is 
to stop out listening. <laughs> so we're at the end of one more Almost. film to go, and one then we're done with the well, not completely done with the original series. After the voyage home, we forgot we were going to do this, but we are going after to after the undiscovered country. You mean after? Sorry, what did I say? Voyage, voyage home. home. That was the I'm last going one. backwards in time. Yep. You got your Roman numerals after, confused. Okay, Lindsay. <laughs> after the undiscovered country, um, we are going to do a fan fiction episode. Mm-hmm. So we promised our selves i guess and listeners that we were going to put our money where our mouths were and there's no money involved actually it's just there's nothing where our, our egos are. where our mouths yeah are. yeah um so i guess look for that at the beginning of february or something when we'll be discussing fan fiction that we actually are going to write about these characters and it's totally fitting star trek kind of invented modern fan fiction fandom as yeah. we know it so yeah. um yeah, we, we can sit back and be critics of all of the shitty things that, you know, people got wrong. But when you're actually the one calling the shots, could we do any better? Probably not. But we're going to try. <laughs> we're going to try. It'll be we'll, fun. We'll we've, never, we've never done that. We've never talked about mm-hmm. our creative processes yeah. um, publicly anyway. Yeah, so we're going to – we'll do a bit of that. Um, but before then, we do have The yes, Undiscovered Country. Yes. That'll be the next episode. And it's one of my favorite movies. And, Lindsay, I know – It's just a good movie. It's just a solid movie. Yeah. I remember when we were watching it last time. It was probably your second time maybe watching it total. Probably. you remembered some scenes but not very well. Um, and at the end, you're like, oh, my God, this is really tense and exciting. Yeah. When they're going to kill the president. Yeah. And you're like, oh, my God, are they going to make it yeah and i'm like i have <laughs> i have probably watched that movie like at least a dozen times so i was like i was just sitting there i think i was just on my phone like drinking a drink while you're just sitting there riveted i'm like yeah. oh yeah this is a really intense good movie but i do that a lot what? again we were watching lord of the rings yesterday and like the whole she loves lair thing okay, i'm like that- oh is he gonna actually kill her and i'm like <laughs> i've seen this movie how many times of course he's gonna kill her the movie didn't change he didn't kill her well, he stabbed he, her and she ran away. Yeah, because but she, didn't nah, her. She, she she dies like eight hundred years later. Lindsay, get read the fucking books. Anyways, uh, that will be the uh, episode to come. Thank you, dear listeners, for joining us today. Lindsay, live long and prosper. You can find all our episodes on Spotify, Podbean, Apple Podcasts, and iTunes, or wherever you get your podcast fix. We love to talk Star Trek with our fellow nerds and would love to hear from you if you have thoughts or ideas about any of our discussions or the topics we've brought up. You can reach out to us on Twitter, that's at TheBixPod, or by email at TheBixPod at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you. Beam us up, Scotty.